0: If you're accepting us into seminary, if you're hiring us, you're placing us in churches, all of these things are demonstrating that you believe that women have a calling. And then you want to get to the point where you are acknowledging their gifts publicly, which is um, ordination. You stop short at that very point. There's a problem. You've already acknowledged our gifting. Why then stop short at a public declaration that God has given us a calling? It makes no sense to
1: me. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, we are opening up a riveting conversation with Pastor Danielle Pilgrim on female pastors, and we get to hear her story on why she rejected her commission. So let's start with a little background information. What does it mean to be commissioned? In the specific denomination, there was a vote back in 2015 by the General Conference Worldwide Church that stated women in pastoral ministries would not be allowed to be ordained like their male counterparts. This distinction came from the underlying fundamental belief that pastoral positions in their official capacity are set aside by God for men and not women. This ordination confers some extra authority within the church structure, such as the ability to baptize, in a way that is recognized as valid by the institution. I have a separate podcast on the history of ordination for those who want to learn more about this, but essentially when a woman becomes a pastor, she is not ordained by the church. Rather, she is commissioned. This is a title that essentially says, we recognize the work you are doing, but we believe the authority associated with ordination, such as baptism, should be reserved for your male counterparts alone. I have a previous podcast that gets into this type of thinking in more detail, but this is a very simplified summary of the differences between ordination and commission, so you can understand what a commission is and why a woman would choose to reject it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic today, so listen close and let me know. But before we get started, I just want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at AdventNext. You can follow our guest today, Pastor Danielle Pilgrim on Instagram at Danielle underscore Pilgrim and me at Kendra Arsenault with an X. But right now, this is AdventNext. So I just want to get right into like the article that you wrote and I, I, some of the things that stood out to me, like you begin this article and I'm going to post it in the description of of the channel, uh, basically saying like, I'm not here to argue about like the theological ramifications of this. Like I'm a woman in ministry. You obviously know where I lie. Uh, but you started talking about, you mentioned something that maybe we can explore a little bit more. Um, but she said that in some ways, this uh, idea of not ordaining women pastors that was passed in the GC in 2015, he says, is contradictory because theoretically, an ordained female elder has more authority than a commissioned or licensed female pastor. Break that down, because that's astonishing.
0: Yeah, um, the the ordained female elder has about the same amount of um, you know leading power. Um, as as a as a pastor, so um, in the presence of an ordained minister, an elder can baptize. They can lead communion. Um, you know, they can officiate. You know, funerals. All of these things. So, if an ordained elder and the church has um, you know given the the authority for women to be ordained, female elders to be ordained. Then, if you're ordaining elders who have the ability to perform these services and these ordinances, then to me it's contradictory that a a, a woman in ministry cannot be ordained. You know what I mean? Because an elder has holds that power, holds that weight. Um, so to me, it, it doesn't make logical sense, right? Um, mm-hmm. If if an elder can do these things, um, but a female elder, you're saying we're not going to ordain you to do these. It, it it really doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's kind of the the background before I jump into some of the more details? Uh, what was the inspiration for you writing this article? How did you get involved with this?
0: Sure, I um, was up for for uh, commissioning, <laughs> and um, and it, it it called me to contemplate a lot about you know the commissioning ceremony and why I was being offered commissioning. And my counterparts were offered ordination, right? So, in in my conference, uh, we're in in my former conference rather. We were in the uh, Southern Union, and the Southern Union has not um, taken a step to ordain women. Um, so, the ordination services—it's very interesting. The program outlet, the program bulletin, would say ordination and commissioning service, and it's like one service, but two separate services in that one service, because they have to make a distinction that the woman is being commissioned. And um, just thinking about that, um, and, you know, um, as I wrote in the article, you know, the kind of glass ceiling that um, a woman in ministry has, as pertains to working in um, in our, our conferences and in our unions, it just did not sit right with me. And I understand the struggle that we're having. And and a lot of it is a theological struggle. I get that, but for me, I felt like if I went along with being commissioned that I would be saying that it's okay. I felt like I would be going along with with where we are right now. And I feel like that will be contributing to the injustice that's happening. And so uh, processing that for myself and the decision I had to make This is where the article was birthed out of that, that, um, you know, that discussion I was having within myself. Um, And so that's when the article, you know, I came out with writing and publishing it.
1: And and give us a little bit more background. I want to take a little more step back because, you know, to be commissioned, you have to be in ministry for a while, right? And so what are your qualifications? What were your backgrounds? Like, what were all the ways that you were qualified as you were leading up to this, uh, you know, this moment where you are saying, I don't know if I want to be commissioned?
0: Right, so I was in ministry for about four years at the time, I believe, and, and I you know I was associate pastor at Atlanta Atlantabury Church, um, one of our very historical churches in um in 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 our conference and you know in the entire union um, and you know I, I worked as associate pastor, I was in charge of discipleship, so new believers. I took them through the process, um, baptized several people myself. Um, I was in charge of a community engagement, so working with um, our community pantry and different organizations um, in the community, creating partnerships, doing uh, programming in the summer for kids in the community. I was in charge of that. I was in charge of youth ministries, in charge of young adult ministries. Uh, For a period of time, I was Basically leading the church for about six months because our senior pastor had left, and um, you know was able to do that. Um, the co- conference president was the interim at the time, uh, but he was so busy I was doing a lot of the work, and so you know he saw my work ethics, and he always said, you know, I don't have to worry because I know you got things under control. Um, this is a you know two thousand member church in attendance, um, four thousand members on the books, so it's a a large church with a lot of responsibilities, and there are so many key elements and. Um, I think I did fairly well with that church. Um, So there were just so many areas that I covered. And, um, you know, they saw my skills, they saw my passion. And, you know, they decided that it was time, you know, to, to acknowledge the gift that God had given me.
1: Wow. And so all of this is kind of leading up to this moment of saying, you know, am I going to accept this? Am I not going to accept this? Uh, and even before, like, and I know I'm like dramatizing this moment for a bit, but like before we even get, get there, like before that, like what led you into ministry? Like, cause at, at some level, I'm sure you knew kind of the church's stance on kind of women and pastoral leadership. And so I think for any woman in our church, to continue to, to, to have their MDiv, to continue to pursue ministry, there has to be something greater knowing that maybe the larger body is not even going to accept you once you do enter into that ministry.
0: Yeah. So a uh, great point that you you bring out there. So what kind of halted me from even pursuing ministry uh, when I when it first came to my thought when I felt God had called me was the fact that there was not a lot of examples um in my former home conference in, in New York uh, of women in ministry. So you know I had never thought about it as an op- an option um to pursue full-time ministry because there wasn't a lot of examples. But you know, fast forwarding to when I felt called to it, um you know, I, I was listening to a sermon by Henry Ryan who's talking about spiritual gifts and you know, I think of pastoral ministry, uh, chaplaincy as something that I've always been doing ever since I was baptized. It, it was something that was innate, you know, um, trying to lead people to Christ um, um, and doing a service, right? That has always been a desire, passion of mine. I don't ha- need to get paid for it. That is something I will do regardless, right? So um, going into ministry, then making that decision um, and seeing that the church was a bit more open to it at the time, um, I came into it knowing that God had called me and no one was mm-hmm. going to stop me, right? <laughs> nice. I wasn't hired by anyone. It wasn't, when I came to the seminary, um, I wasn't uh, sponsored, but I knew God had called me. And it was just very evident in my life. So I was coming in thinking, you know, if God called me, you're, you're not going to stop me, right? Um, right. But the, the idea that I have in my mind is if our um, if our GC, if our, our institution is opening doors for women to be in ministry. If you're accepting us into seminary, if you're hiring us, you're placing us in churches, all of these things are demonstrating that you believe that women have a calling. And then you wanna get to the point where you are acknowledging their gifts publicly, which is um, ordination, you stop short at that very point. There's a problem. You've already acknowledged our gifting why then stop short at a public declaration that God has given us a calling? It makes no sense to me. And I think that for me, uh, cause I know some of my female colleagues, you know, they they take they accept commissioning and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Just for me, I know that change only comes when those who are being marginalized and oppressed start uh, responding and kicking back towards a system that is putting up, um, uh, that that is creating the injustice, right? So for me, there was no way I can sleep at night knowing that I had accepted something that was an, a blatant uh, disrespect and injustice. And mm. that, for me, is where I had to draw the line. There's there's, there's no reason for you to take my money, um, you know, getting a degree, for you to hire me and then tell me this is where the buck ends with you. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen.
1: Right, right, right. Is there a point in time where before you came to the seminary that you also held the belief that like women shouldn't be ordained or did you always like feel like, no, I know that God's called me. And like, did you have that settled in your mind before that came, before you came or was there a point in time where that shifted?
0: So that's a great question. Um, (laughs) This is a great question. I had a conversation with someone recently about this. I was taught um, that women should not be um, in leadership positions such as pastoral ministries. That's what I was taught based on certain interpretations of Pauline writings. Well, when I came to seminary, right? Um, And even before that, you know, just realizing that there's context with certain, you know, a lot of those scriptures that are, you know, difficult for us to understand, some of us understand. So I, I did have that ideology because that's what I was taught. Um, But as I continued to read and to study and to listen to other individuals, realizing um, that that interpretation wasn't correct, but also just the calling was just too strong for me to even think that to continue to think that that was a correct interpretation of the Bible. So I think it was the calling that helped that caused me to rethink my beliefs. Um, It was just too strong. And then, you know really understanding scripture and understanding how to interpret scripture um, later on opened up my eyes. Yeah. But the thing about it is that a lot of our church, ha- you know, believe that women should not be in ministry because they were taught that by men uh, who interpreted the Bible. And now the church is understanding, you know, well, maybe maybe the way we read it was not, r- was not right. Well, I think that the same men who taught women and men that women should, not be, um, women should not be in ministry who are now understanding that maybe they were incorrect. They have the responsibility now to reteach those same congregations, mm-hmm. you know, the correct uh, interpretation of scripture. And I think that that's where uh, change comes, where we you know, acknowledge that we have interpreted something's wrong. Because there it makes no sense to say a woman can be, I'm sorry to go on a tangent, but it makes no sense to say that a woman can teach Sabbath school, a woman can 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 do all 67, 65% of the church is a woman. Women are leading the charge. Then to say, you know, you could do all these different things, but you cannot do, you cannot hold a position as pastor. It, and it really doesn't make any sense. If you really think about it, it really doesn't make any sense.
1: Especially when you're at the seminary and you are with your female colleagues. And then, and this is like, I'm going to throw a little shade, but like not really. But then you see some of your other male counterparts and they're, like, they're not performing as well. Right. And it makes me think like, I know, how is this person who's like 4.0? excellent female leader, uh, like not qualified in comparison to somebody just because of her gender, right? Like when you're behind the scenes and you're actually seeing the people who are stepping up to the plate to pastor our churches, it is kind of like, like I said, it doesn't make any sense.
0: sense. I mean, and then you cannot deny the gifting, you know, you cannot deny the giftedness of the woman that you see. You just can't deny it. Um, you know, the largest, church in our denomination is in China led by a woman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Come on. She's bringing thousands and thousands of people to Christ. You can't deny that. You cannot say that's not the spirit of God. And so I I, I think that we just need to, (laughs) we just need to open our eyes to what God is
1: I would definitely want to highlight something that you said, because I related to it, you know, before I came here, I, I held some beliefs that I was like, I don't think, you know, women should be ordained, but, but I'm not here to be ordained, right? Like I'm here to just, just here to do ministry. I just here to learn. And I think a lot of women kind of shrink their way into seminary, but you highlighted the fact that, you know, it wasn't even, didn't even seem like an option to you to enter into pastoral ministries because of the attitude of the church. And also because the fact that they're, that there was a failure to have leaders who are also women. Right. And it was a systemic failure. Right. And to see like that, there might be other women out there who are called and they're doubting their calling and they're not sure if they should move forward. And they're dealing with guilt and shame all because of their gender. And that's just, just it's heartbreaking because we need more people in, in, you know, like it says the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few, you know, to, to really not bar anybody from coming. So I relate to that. And I, and I, and there was a moment that there was a switch and I was like, oh, well, okay, let's do this. <laughs> um, I'm going to walk unashamed in this. Right. So, so what, I mean, where are you at now? So, I mean, you, you did some pastoring out in Atlanta and right now, what's your current situation?
0: Yeah, so I um, was in Atlanta for four years, four great years of ministry, it really was. And now I am here at Andrews University. I am the associate chaplain here on campus, um, and it's just been really great. Um, in addition to being chaplain, I'm also uh, the lead pastor for New Life Fellowship, um, which is one of our, our fellowships here on campus. So uh, that has been just just awesome as well, even wow. through a pandemic. <laughs>
1: Wow. So, I mean, you're definitely qualified. You've kind of shown yourself in in this regard. Um, And I kind of want to, you know, get back a little bit to the article because you highlight some other things that I want to talk about, but I just wanted to show, like, you are definitely doing your thing. You're definitely qualified. Um, Oh, wait, before we go back to the article, like, so the moment that you were coming up for your commissioning, what was that like? And, like, did you decide, like, when did you finally decide, like, I'm not going to be commissioned? And were there people that were disappointed in you because of that? And like, how did, how did you navigate that whole process? Sure.
0: Um, so I made the decision, uh, the conference had called me and, and told me that I was being considered for commissioning. And, you know, there's a process that you have to go through um, before you, you're you actually commissioned or ordained. Um, and so I told them, you know, thank you for thinking of me and so forth. And then I processed it for a couple of, couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks. Um, and then when I decided I wouldn't do it, then I, I asked my president if I could meet with him and I met with him. I talked through, um, you know, my processing, my thoughts and, you know, where I stood. Um, and surprisingly he understood, he understood. Um, I was the second, uh, female in ministry in, in that conference. Um, and I think with the first pastor, he learned a lot. So when it came to me, he was way more understanding. Um, And so he understood and I really appreciated him understanding. Now, there were some other people uh, in the conference who uh, did not like my decision. Some of them felt almost offended. Um, And then there were, uh, this is really interesting. I had posted this article online and I shared, you know, I was up for commissioning. I rejected it. Um, here are my thoughts and why, and I got a lot of, um, lot of uh, support, lot of you know, just people just applauding my decision. I did not do it for the you know applause or anything like that. It was just my conviction. I'd have done it regardless. But there was one comment I will never forget, because this person is um, they work for the the NAD. Okay. The person is a female in ministry. <laughs> Yikes. and her response was, you know, I think this is very unprofessional. I think um, the you know the GC's working on it and you know you know it's going to change eventually and so forth and you know she went on. And yeah. I never responded um, because yeah. you know my the thoughts that came to my head <laughs> probably will not good for consumption. <laughs> But um, that's one comment I'll never forget, because this was a fellow sister in ministry who was in a high position, you know? Um, and I said to myself, you know, this is even more a confirmation that I made the right decision, because it's the silence of others that cause injustice to continue. Right. Um, and you know, to be in a position like the one that she's in and to continue to just be silent about it and say, well, it will change eventually. Well, change does not come with compliance. Yeah, Yeah. change comes the consistent um, bucking against the grain because those in power do not readily give away power unless they are confronted.
1: Right.
0: And it's not to say that our church is power hungry or the men in our church are power hungry. It's just that they have been comfortable with the way things are. And when women start talking about it, when women start, start, start um, responding to it, I think that more change will come.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a question, you know, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. And I'm curious, like during this time, you know, like did this affect your mental health? And how did you kind of deal with that if it did affect it? And do those types of sentiments like, do you feel like it, it messes with the mental health of women?
0: Uh, I'm pretty sure it could it it could affect the mental health of women, for sure. I, I think just overall, the commissioning of women, um, you know, in my article I, I said that, you know, I quoted Martin Luther King Jr. who says, you know, equality is not a matter of mathematics or geometry but it's a matter of psychology, um, where he's basically saying that equality is is about telling someone that you matter, that your voice matter, that you are equal. And so for me, uh, I think that commissioning just says to me that you're not equal. You you, you are not on the same level as I am. That's what it says to me. Um, And so I reject that wholeheartedly, which is why I will not accept it. However, I think with the comments um that came after it didn't affect me um, because my calling is sure. like I am very confident that God has called me. my my calling may look unique uh, and a bit different than others, but I, I am very confident in what God has called me to and uh, so no words um you know will will keep me down. Um, not at all, not at all. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I love this part of your article that says, you know, there's no such thing as separate but equal. It's like we've already been through this, right? Like we we <laughs> no such thing as separate but equal. And 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 I want to read this quote that you did quote from Martin Luther King because it's so it's so beautiful. It says, "Equality is not only a matter of mathematics and geometry, but it's a matter of psychology. It's not only quantitative, it's not only a quantitative something, but it's a qualitative something, and it's possible to have quantitative equality and qualitative inequality. And I think that really summarized some of the points that you're making, because when somebody says to you, you know, well, women get paid the same as men, you know, how would you respond to that?
0: In the past, I don't think that was the case. Hmm. Um, in, the, in the present now, I think that it is, it is the case. Um, however, with denying commissioning, I denied a little pay raise, so <laughs> there's that. Um, I will affirm that in our institution right now with as it pertains to pastors, we are being paid equally. Um, but that does not deny the fact of the opportunities, the leadership opportunities that are not available, right? right. So uh, in certain conferences and certain unions, women are not allowed to be presidents. They cannot simply because of their gender. That's discrimination, that's injustice, right? So. Yeah. We have
1: to acknowledge those things. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, and you really summarize this point of like a, a qualitative inequality, you know, or a commission is a qualitative inequality. And this, is, it really is affecting, it. like you, I think you mentioned, like it affects how um, our churches see women in, in leadership. It affects that like their own ability to do their job, right? Uh, have you come across that? And, and what ways is like kind of this belief, affecting women's ability to do their jobs maybe from experience of your colleagues or maybe a personal experience that you can bring to the table.
0: Oh, cool, sure, sure. Um uh, <laughs> I I had some colleagues um I, one she went to a two church district and her church split when she arrived, right? Oh, wow. Half of the church left, right? Because she's a woman in ministry. Um you know, the the elders did not want to take um you know, leadership from a woman in ministry, right? Um, so that, ha- that has happened to several, uh, I know, women um, pastors. Um, in addition to, you know, for my own experience, I was doing a baptism. I was, you know, doing the charge, and while I was doing the charge, there was a man in the church who obviously had an issue with women in ministry. And I could see him get up from his seat, run to the front pew to talk to my senior pastor to tell him that I was not allowed to do that. And I shouldn't be doing this. I could see this happening while I'm doing the baptism. And uh, while it was, when I was done, I came down to the front pew and my senior pastor was ignoring him because it was an inappropriate time, right? You could have a concern, which is fine, but it's an inappropriate time. So he said, Danielle, can you just talk to him, please? I spoke to him, I said, you know, I hear your concern. This is not the, the right time we can talk to you after. And he said, don't talk to me. <laughs> he said, I'm not I'm oh not listening gosh. to you. He said, I'm not listening to you. You know, it, that that again, you know, the disrespect uh, because of my gender and because of my position um, is it, that blatant disrespect that they feel okay. Some people feel okay that because They don't acknowledge my position that they can disrespect you.
1: Mm.
0: So those things are, are happening.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you were blessed by part one of this conversation with Pastor Danielle Pilgrim. Stay tuned for next week as we continue our talk and get some insight into how our theological bigotry is playing out in the next generation's desire to stay involved in the church. You can follow our guest today, Pastor Danielle Pilgrim, on Instagram at Danielle underscore Pilgrim and me at Kendra Arsenault with an X. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram or YouTube, please be sure to do so at Advent Next. Thanks so much for tuning in and see you next week.